Welcome to Job Fair Podcast. Uh, today you're listening to me, once again, and I brought on a friend that I knew for, I, I guess maybe more of an acquaintance. I don't know, we were friends, but it's been a while. So, um, someone I knew from high school and uh, maybe a little bit of middle school, uh, they went to GMC with me as well, but they went to the profession of teaching, so I'm going to give it away to her. Hey, yeah, my name is Audrey Lamar. I am a teacher. Um, I'm in the state of Florida, so some of the things that I say today might be geared towards Florida, but will definitely apply to any state. Um, you know, it might be a little bit of regulation change. So, um, yep, I'm a teacher. I teach middle school math, uh, sixth and seventh grade. I have done preschool in the past. I have done third grade. I've done support facilitation. Um, and now I'm sixth and seventh. Okay. And uh, so what, what school do you teach at, if you don't mind? Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's actually Ruth Raines Middle School. Um, it's in Dixie County, Florida. Okay. And is this a, a public school or a private school? It or? is. So it's a public school. Um, so in Dixie County, we only have one middle school. Uh, so it's the only one in county. We're Title I funded. So what that means is basically we're in such a low socioeconomic group that we, um, we qualify for things like free lunch for all of our students. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more that goes into it. We also get money for, you know, anything um, extra that we might need, just kind of based on a, f- a financial need, really. Okay, that's good. I think I think my so my mother's a teacher as well. Oh wow! Uh, the listeners may already know this, depending on what order I put these podcasts. In, <laughs> but um, um, my mother's also a teacher, and I think Baldwin County's also Title One. Mm-hmm. Now, I will so. tell you also. Um, this kind of shocks people because when they think of Florida. They think of, um, when they think of poverty, they think of, you know, the outskirts of Orlando or the, um, you know, Little Havana in Miami, you know, thinking about the poverty there. We are the number one county to have, as far as like lowest socioeconomic, we have the highest socioeconomic, uh, I guess, need indicators or yeah. such so mm-hmm. i guess they're probably looking at high school dropouts maybe like um mm-hmm. i don't know what else they look at crime well they and also just i don't know i forget how they worded it um but it's we're the number one socioeconomic i guess like you said the need but as far as you know jobs and the money that these okay. families are bringing in it's extremely low and so um poverty is a huge you know, battle that we face in Ruth Reigns, um, in the county in general. But it's, you know, when we talk about things like, oh, you know, in the rural Florida, um, you know, people people really don't think about it. They don't put that together. But there's definitely a need for Title I teachers and Title I funding. Okay. Now, I at the beginning of these podcasts, I usually ask people kind of what their pay is, um, if you don't mind. I mean, technically, it's public information anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, but. teachers make anywhere between thirty and thirty-five. You know, starting out, um, mm-hmm. I make thirty-five. Um, I'm not really starting out though. This is would be like my considered my third year. Um, the state of Florida is really improving. They're trying to get on. Um, you know, teacher reform and education reform. So I'm, I'm very blessed. I'm very lucky. Um, but yeah, no, I would say that's probably the starting pay is anywhere between 30 and 35. Okay. 
And you said you, uh, did you start out at 35 or you started around 30? Um, I, I want to say I started around 33. Okay. And were those pay increases, were they just uh, cost of living increases they did yearly? Or was this like uh, so, kind of like these guaranteed No, not really. Um, but then again, I will say that I moved to different counties. Um, okay. Because of just how my life was spread out, um, I was teaching and then I got engaged. So we moved, but I couldn't get a job in the district that I wanted. And so I had to change districts again. So I've changed district three different times. Um so pay will change from district to district, but also um, the governor has kind of came out this past year and said, you know, that he wanted to try to raise teacher pay. So, I mean, that will have a little bit to do with it if you're teaching the state of Florida in the next two years. But um, it really just depends on your district and also what type of endorsements you get. So, um, yes, teachers are not in my opinion, they're not paid as nearly as much as what they deserve, but your pay will depend on things like how many years, you know, you have under your belt, um, what you're certified to teach and also the endorsement. So, um, like they give special courses almost is really how I would phrase it. It's courses that you can take to get certified to be like a reading teacher. It's called your reading endorsement. Um, also, you know, if you know a foreign language, they call it ESOL. So if you're certified to teach students who speak another language, that's really big in the state of Florida right now. Little things like that will increase your pay. Okay. And uh, um, I guess other than earning those certifications, it seems like to me the only way to kind of like increase your pay with your years of experience, because they don't necessarily automatically increase your pay. Mm -hmm. You might have to move to another district and apply and kind of like – you know, when you're applying, you argue for like a higher pay and that seems like mm-hmm. how you get your higher pays. You have to move around almost. Is that yes. True? Yes, you do. Um, but now, you know, I will say like if I have looked into getting my master's degree in education and it does pay a little bit more for you to get your master's, just like any other profession would, but it would not be worth it in my opinion and the school that I looked at and the, you know, the tuition that I would have to pay it was not worth it for me personally to go get my master's in education to be able to teach for a higher rate that it just wasn't feasible for me. It didn't work out in my plan, but maybe at other districts um, it could, so you could go get your master's, but really it's, you know, teachers need to be their own advocate. You know, you need to know your worth. You need to know, okay, I have a four year degree from this university and I have these endorsements and I want to make this much, how much are you paying your teachers? Well, what if I get my master's? Those are all kind of questions that, you know, when you get offered a job, you want to have that second or even third or fourth interview. And let me and just say, well, let me come in and ask you some questions about your district. Um, I encourage all, you know, future educators to go to their school board meetings. You know, learn about your district before you join in. Now, I'm very lucky, you know, um, I love my district. My school board is extremely uh, available. You know, they, we had a school board member drop off donuts for the first day of school for the teachers. We know them very, very well, um, and they're definitely there for us. But if you're new to education, and especially if you're in a new place, go be your own advocate. Okay. And what do you, um, in your opinion, what do you think kind of – 
makes you the most valuable to schools? Do you think it's like where you can point back to your class and say, hey, look, we did this project and this project, or is it more about the endorsements or mm-hmm. more about just how they did on the uh, performance exams, like the CRCT or whatever it's called now? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think has the biggest impact for them in terms of value, you think? So I guess would look at it, like what type of endorsements you have, maybe what district you came from. Um, if you wanted to bring in your test scores and things like that, you definitely could. I recommend for all teachers to create their own portfolio, especially if you're young and you're not married and you don't really know where you're going to end up. Um, I would create a portfolio of, uh, you know, just data about, you know, in 2016, I taught this class, they came in with these type of scores. And by the end of the year, they had these type of scores. Um, But really, my portfolio looks a lot more like what kind of accommodations I provided in the classroom, or, you know, um, just kind of like what's like you said, what type of projects, examples of my lesson plans, are always a biggie mm-hmm. of what I like to do in class and things like that. But yes, as far as professionally and what districts are going to look for, I would say create a portfolio. That's actually one of our uh, requirements um, in school for one of your last internships. They will have you create a portfolio normally. You know, if you're mm-hmm. just coming out of school, I would keep that portfolio and just kind of update it. You know, you don't want to make it huge. You want to make it something that they can flip through pretty easily. But um, it's definitely something to have. Personally, what makes me valuable in the classroom is I know for a fact that the academics that I teach are just as important as the student that I teach and teaching that social and emotional you know, need and addressing that need. Um, as I'm really big into that as an educator, uh, I think that that's going to we're kind of making a change from not teaching strictly academics to teaching the child. And uh, so that's a huge thing for me right now. And I really think that's what makes me different. And that's kind of what makes me shine when I go into an interview is that I always address that in my classroom. Um, whether it be, you know, I, rem- I don't know if you remember, I remember from when we were in GMC, we had a character character above all and we had like character words every week that we would have to memorize it was like integrity or responsibility and things like that I have a character word wall in my classroom and we just we go over stuff like that um we also go over things like scenarios like what happens if someone steals my iPhone or what happens if I don't you know bring my gym clothes for baseball you know what's coach gonna say How do I need to respond to that? Things like that. So I guess there's two answers to that. One being what the district would love to hear and one being, you know, the teacher. So. Yeah. And that's a good point because really teachers do play a role, not just in teaching Mm -hmm. kids, but in their development really into society because they're spending a third of their life with you on days that they have school. Mm -hmm. So, and the other third is sleeping. So that's half of their (laughs) awake time. (laughs) So. Okay, so I had a quick question. You mentioned that you could get a master's. Do you have a a rough idea, I guess, in your district what someone with a master's would get paid? Um, I do not. I only know a few teachers that have have decided to get their master's in education. Usually a teacher will, um, you know, be in the classroom for a few years, and then they'll kind of decide, oh, I want to get it in curriculum 
or maybe even education leadership and go kind of the admin route. Um, I'm not sure about how much for me, I, I hate to throw around numbers that I'm not sure about, but I did price it out of, okay, this is how much I will, it will increase my pay yearly. And I priced it with tuition and it was just, I just couldn't do it. it. It wouldn't make sense for me to. So I ended up deciding to get my master's degree in education leadership. And um, mm -hmm. I'm in a great program right now. I would love to take that program and apply it to maybe getting, um, you know, being a principal or uh, even just going, you know, just the district route. I love the idea of going into curriculum and textbooks and bringing new resources into schools. So there's just a lot of different venues um, throughout education. I feel like when, you know, you talk about getting a degree in education, people are like, oh, you're going to be a teacher. That's so cute. Well, there's a lot more that you can do with that. You know, you could, you know, I love the textbook route. I always go to that. You could go into the um, technology part of it and you could, you know, come and be in the, our tech program and show these students how to get resources or you could do teacher trainings. I mean, that's huge right now. So you could go, there's programs like NEFECT or um, any type of government program that you can, you can use and you can go through to push out teacher resources throughout the different school districts. Okay. And uh, are you aware of any, I know it's STEM, which is my background. It's very easy to find either employers or, you know, some other avenue to get someone to pay for you to get more education. How common is that with teaching? It's non-existent. It's not. Um, sometimes uh, you can get your district to pay for you to get a certification. So basically, mm -hmm. like for me, for example, I came with a elementary school background. And then when I went into middle school, they needed me to be certified in middle school math. And so they basically paid for me to go take the test to be certified. But as far as getting a master's degree, there's there's really not a lot of opportunities, which is which is unfortunate. Um, I would love to see that change. That's that would be a huge push at a a level that's probably above a school district. It would have to be something that the state pushes out. I'm not sure about states like Georgia. Um, I don't know what they have. But as far as me right now, there's no opportunities for, you know, my district to pay for me to get a master's. It's something that I have taken on personally. Okay, yeah. And um, going back to the Title I remark that you made, do you know if the Title I schools have more, like, do, do you think they have any more incentives to get more teachers? Like, can they mm -hmm. offer higher pay through the state? Well, so I will say that the state of Florida has, um, it's called Best and Brightest. So mm -hmm. if you're a college graduate and you score high enough and if you have um i think it's i want to say it's the act it might be the sat if you score high enough on that um you can go and they'll basically like almost just pay you a, a stipend to go teach the state of florida has that um title one will give the school more money to use how they see fit so last year a new position with support facilitation. Basically, I needed to go in the classroom and I needed to make sure that those accommodations that our students have are being met. 
And, um, you know, if the teachers need anything or even lesson planning or, you know, tag teaming a lesson, like doing a lesson together or just taking a group of our low students to the back and making sure that they are getting the instruction from the teacher, just being that bridge. So things like that, like I was a Title I teacher last year. So um, if the money is kind of fluid. Um, I would say that a lot more when people think of Title I schools, they think of a lot more <laughs> negatives than they do positives. Okay. So you said you have a bachelor's degree. Uh, what was it in specifically? Early childhood education. Okay. And do you still have to take the, you still have to take the GACE or is that just Georgia specific? So that's Georgia specific. So yes, you have to take like a teacher certification exam and Mm -hmm. um, you'll take, it's very general. You'll take your general one, whatever it is. And then you will take your, um, your subject specific test. So like for me, yes, I took my teacher test, if you want to call it that. And then I had to take um, my you know, subject specific, early elementary, and then I did middle school math. Um, And then after that, you'll have to take a professional knowledge, some sort of professional knowledge test, um, and then you'll do a general knowledge. And it reminds me a lot of are you smarter than a fifth grader type of thing? Like you're just general knowledge. Like, do you have a general knowledge of of subject areas across the board? And so in the state of Florida, um, you do... After those three tests, you have your temporary and it's you have the time span of three years to get the test done. And then you'll get your professional. From what I've heard, because I do have family in Georgia still that and I actually have one of my very close cousins is a teacher in Georgia. Um, it sounds familiar um, that I didn't really want to use any acronyms because, you know, GACE or, you know, FTCE, what we have in Florida those won't apply across state lines, but usually that's how it is, is you have a general knowledge, professional knowledge, and then you'll have like a subject area and then you can move on. Okay. And then uh, I think some listeners would be interested to know, do you have to get your degree in anything specific or could you get a degree in say um, architecture and Mm -hmm. then go and just take these tests? So I guess my recommendation, um, if you are going to teach anything from, if you're going to teach anything subject specific, so if you want to be a sixth grade history teacher or a 12th grade AP British literature teacher, I mean, whatever it might be, um, if you want it to be subject specific, I would go and get your bachelor's degree in that subject because that is what you need to know how to teach. Now, if you are wanting to teach fifth grade third grade where you're going to be blending different subjects, I think that it would be more beneficial for you to get your degree in education. Um, And that's a personal preference. You can 100% go get a degree, a four-year degree that does not have to do with education and then take these tests and become, and become a teacher. Um, But if I was 18 and I was just starting out, that's what I would consider. I would consider, you know, do I want to blend subjects with the younger grades or do I want to have a specialty? That makes sense. Cause I think in elementary school, you are doing so much more in teaching mm-hmm. and you're also kind of like teaching them how to learn yeah. in a way. 
whereas in high school they're kind of they're already set in their ways a little bit mm-hmm. and there's a little bit more cognitive ability with a high schooler than like with an elementary schooler mm-hmm. so i don't think you have to focus so much on the uh how to educate versus um you know do you actually know it <laughs> mm-hmm. but with that with that being said i remember there were some teachers that just they don't connect that well as students they mm-hmm. just don't know how to teach that well so it is important and i I was talking to Major Mack, another person I interviewed, or Will interviewed, depending on the order. Um, and he was talking about how some of it can be learned, but some of it is just personal, like how well you are, uh, how good you are at being a presenter, or how well you can read people and see if they're really, truly comprehending it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I'd kind of like to hear your thoughts on that, too. How much of that is just kind of like innate who you are and how much of that can be learned? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel kind of not qualified to answer that because <laughs> I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, okay. I knew, I think that it was when we started Awanas in my church. And I don't know if you know what that program is. Basically, it's a Wednesday night service. Um, and mm-hmm. the older students help the younger mm-hmm. students memorize Bible verses. And that okay. sounds so trivial, but I'll never forget, um, her name was Miss Shirley, and she was at my church, and she asked me to come and help her with her Awanas program. And I remember teaching her little grandson, his name was Sam, um, mm-hmm. and I remember teaching him these Bible verses. And we started out with John 3.16. And just getting him through and, and helping him memorize that, it just sparked such joy in me. Um, you know, people talk about their happy place. And I feel so silly when I say that my happy place is truly in my classroom, with my students in there and shut the door to all the adults and I'm in here and I'm helping them learn and we're all collaborating together and sharing ideas. I mean, when that light bulb moment happens, that is just a teacher's high. I mean, nothing gets better than that. And so I feel personally that you just have it or you don't have it. Um, you know, you, you can connect with the students um, and that's something that you're born with, you know, you're, you're a born teacher. Now I will say in the higher grades, you know, yes, you really need to be a history buff if you're going to teach, you know, seniors history and that's mm-hmm. a really, really big deal. But do you love 12th graders? There's not a lot of people who can say that, oh, wow, 17 year olds and I really get along, <laughs> but, um, you know, you have to have a blend of that. I feel like in the older grades, um, I think that, you know, Major Mac was definitely right that, you know, you have to have a blend, but in the younger grades, you, it's not something that you can just float into one day and be really good at it. Um, yeah, you're a born teacher. You're a boy. You've got to love students. You've got to learn the process of learning and, and just love children in general. Okay. And then how well do you think your, your college education prepared you for teaching in the classroom? Uh, or was it more of just like the ex- actually getting the experience? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that anything is going to prepare you for that first day of school when that bell rings and you have 20 children, 20 students sitting in your classroom. And when that door closes, nothing will prepare you. I mean, it's basically like 
you know, um, sink or swim. <laughs> Nothing's going to prepare you for that. You really just have to go out there and do it. That's why I feel like internships are so important. Seeing teachers do it in real life. Um, I will say that my college experience definitely helped, but mm -hmm. every single school district is a little bit different. So yes, when mm -hmm. I was in school, I learned things like formative assessments versus summative assessments. And, you know, all of these huge technical terms that I need to use and I need to be able to to you know incorporate into my lesson plans but I really think that my last two internships you basically do almost a whole year of internships but they break it into two different classes so you can see two different you know ways you can internship with two different teachers and that was when I knew I was like oh yeah I want to do things. Okay. I can. I want to make the lesson plans. You know, I want to. I want to talk to the kids. Let me be up there. Um, and that's when I definitely got that that feeling of, of okay, now I'm ready. So I think it is a blend. Yes, you need the school side. You need to know the terminology and the ins and the outs. But <clears throat> I, I would say nothing's going to prepare you. <laughs> and were, were the internships were they part of the college program? Yes. Or mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So that's, you have to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't know if that was voluntary or not. So I do have another question. If you, so you're working right now in Florida, do you know if it would be difficult or not? If you were to transfer states, would you have to retake mm -hmm. all the tests or does that all transfer? Yes. No. And that's something that we've thought about. Um, I'm recently married. I got married in July of last year and my husband and I have always loved Georgia, especially Milledgeville. And he is just enamored by the history because he's a huge history buff and you know we have um family up there still and he loves to go up there and hunt and just be out there and he loves it and we have toyed around with the idea of maybe one day making the move back but the, the thing about uh moving states when you're teaching is you're basically starting at square one um you have to take all of the tests over again um if you come from the state of Georgia to the state of Florida, you're probably going to have to get a reading endorsement and an ESOL, which is students, you know, who, who are learning English. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's not a process that I would want to go through. It's definitely possible. I mean, you can definitely do it, but you're going to have to jump through some hoops. Okay. Oh, do you think that's one of the problems in the industry is that it's so divided by states? Absolutely. Because, I mean, if you're teaching, if you live near a state border, you know, you're teaching on one side of the border, but you may live on the other side of the border. You mm -hmm. may prefer to teach on that side. And I feel like it's a very difficult transition mm -hmm. for something that's so local for a lot of people. Yes. I definitely think that, um, you know, as a country, we should decide how we want to certify teachers. And I know that that would be hard because uh, let's face it. Yes. I need to know how to, you know, I need to have my ESOL endorsement, but if I lived in a, you know, another state, would I really, would I ever encounter a student who doesn't know English? So I, I understand that, um, why they divide it, you know, by states, but I feel like there are some general regulations that we could put in place to give teachers more freedom. I, I really do. Okay, yeah, I think that's a good point, and that that's something that I think should be addressed uh, mm -hmm. by somebody higher than me, <laughs> more authority than me. But maybe I can bring light to it. 
So one of the other questions I have was, um, so this I, for some reason I thought you were teaching at an Episcopal school. Yes, I did for okay. a long time. Mm-hmm. I loved it. So I had a few questions about that. So is that considered a private school? I'm guessing. Yes. So we do have, um, you know, we you have your private schools like GMC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, you know, any little Christian school that you have the private sector, you have the public sector, and then you have the charter schools, which is a little bit of a, of a, um, a mix of both. Uh, it's, it's pretty new. Um, but you do, you have those three, the school that I taught out was an Episcopal, uh, school and we really, or I taught preschool there. Um, and so I had four and five year olds. It was amazing because, and I actually encourage all future educators that are in college. If you are not at some big, huge university and you can handle having another side job, I would say go find a daycare, go find a really, really good, really well-known, um, school that has a pre-K and go do pre-K because for pre-K you only have to have an associate's degree. So that would be an amazing opportunity for you to go in there and teach pre-K. And then Mm -hmm. when you do get your bachelor's degree, you just transfer and start teaching students for a little, you know, a little bit older. Um, That was it. You already have a lot of experience dealing with kids. So. Yeah. And so that's something that I didn't know until I, had I had this wonderful internship with a lady named Terry Steen and she teaches um in the public sector in Alachua County and I was like I gotta have a job like what am I gonna do just talking to her one day during nap time and she told me she said hey I know this private school that needs a pre-k teacher would you be willing to do it and she she got me in there and I really never looked back um so I did that my junior and senior year I loved it. It was an amazing experience. I say 100%. If you're able to do that while you're still in college, go look at that. And also, um, you know, if you want to teach the higher kids, if you want to teach, you know, middle schoolers, a lot of public schools have after school programs. So you can Mm -hmm. potentially take your college classes 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. and run across town and then teach the after school program from three thirty to six. I mean that's a that's a pretty sweet gig if you ask me. Yeah. So when you're teaching at um the Episcopal school, I think some people might be interested to hear if they have if they don't have like a lot of prospects in their in their town and maybe mm-hmm. they have like the public school but it's not really hiring right now. But there is say uh, a Christian academy or something like that or or some religiously based school. Mm-hmm. I was kinda curious how much uh, how much influence does the religious really have on the teaching, or is it kind of like non, not really there? It just depends on the school. Um, you know, okay. it's just kind of like with GMC and the military part of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of fluctuates from who's in charge of it and what the board decides and, and things like that. For my school, we had chapel on Wednesdays, and mm-hmm. um, then you know, what the teacher decided to teach in the classroom was her own choice. Um, I am not Episcopal. I was raised Baptist. I consider myself non-denominational now, but just those building blocks of Christianity and incorporating it into the classroom was a really 
this is awesome for me because um, I got to kind of feel like I was doing something that I normally wouldn't be able to if I was in public schools teaching pre-K. So I guess it just depends. It just depends on the school. All right. So it sounds like the advice I would take from that is um, for some people, it may work really well. It may mm-hmm. meld with your teaching style really well. For some people, you know, if if for, if you're you know against that particular religion or you don't support it, um, and but it's the only job in town, maybe you should just go meet with them, talk mm-hmm. with them, see what the feel is, because they yeah. may not have a huge push on mm-hmm. the religious aspect in that school, you know. And whether you think that's a good thing or not, that's all up to you, the individual. So, uh, but I think it's good to at least meet with you know them if if it's a consideration and just mm-hmm. see what their position is on kind of different things. Um, so looking back at prospects though, what, when you were going through college, what kind of prospects were you expecting and what was it in reality? Like were people telling you there's a lot of jobs in teaching right now or were they saying it was slim pickings and what, what did it actually look like? I think that education is one of those fields that there will always be a demand because people are always going to be having babies, right? Like there's always going mm-hmm. to be, you know, um, students who, who need to learn. Um, I will say I graduated from college in 2017, maybe 2018, 2017. And um, since then, there's always been a demand for teachers. I've never had, and I guess I've, I shouldn't say that I've never had trouble finding a job because I've stayed in North Florida. Um, so, but if you look at districts websites, um, you can usually just find it pretty easily, you know, their job openings and um, find something that you like. From there, you would probably have to apply on an online platform. And then I would send an email to the principal. Hey, principal so-and-so, just wanted to let you know, I'm a recent graduate of this university. I'm going to be moving to your area or I have lived in your area for so long. Uh, just put my application in and I'd love to be considered. Um, I think a personal touch goes a long way because education is a very tight knit group. I mean, if I find out that someone else is a teacher, you automatically have a bond because, you know, you're kind of going through the same thing. So I really would say that there's always going to be a demand for teachers. Um, and on, there's a big turnaround, you know, there's some teachers who go in the classroom and they stay for five years and they say, I can't do it anymore. And, you know, they leave. And it's unfortunate, but um, I would say it might not be in the district that you want at first, but you could go to another county. You could go to another area. Like you said, you could go to on the private sector. And um, then when that position opens, just be checking online and send an email. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. That's, Similar to what Major Max said, he's, he said you might not be able to start where you want, mm-hmm. but, you know, you can get your experience and then eventually kind of move to where you want. So that sounds like good advice there. Um, so what were some of the unexpected challenging aspects of teaching? Like what, I guess, what were some of the things they didn't prepare you for and you got in the classroom and it was just <laughs> like, I never thought this would be something that you'd have to mm-hmm. do or, or overcome. The parents. <laughs> The parents, okay. The parents. Um, I was not expecting to, I feel like a lot of my issues that come up in the classroom um, are are parent-related. 
Um, and it's not that I'm doing something wrong or the parents doing something wrong. It's just a difference of how they would do it at home and how I do it in the classroom. Um, so connecting with parents is something that I did not learn in school. And now uh, as this going, going into my third year of teaching in the public school system, um, I'm seeing that I, I definitely have to work on that. Um, I'm a little bit, I don't know if it's because we went to GMC. I'm, I'm very, I'm not a very sweet and lovely and bubbly, giggly person. Um, I'm very, you know, not like Miss Collie. <laughs> oh, no, hey, Miss Collie had her moments too. She, she, you were going to do her work, but no, she really, you know, I'm very, okay, we're going to get in here. We're going to get this done. And if we have time, then you'll play. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty on the ball. And, um, I think that. Sometimes I'm not as overly dramatic or or affectionate. And so that's kind of been a struggle for me. Um, But really it's, it's not, it's just, you need to think about, okay, these, I'm not even going to say students. I'm going to say these children in my classroom are used to being with their parents in their home. And Mm -hmm. then they're coming into my classroom as students do they know how to understand that change? Can they really think about, okay, this was at home and this is how we're going to do it in school. Um, And does that mean my teacher is mean or too soft or whatever, or that my mom's doing it wrong? And so there's definitely a little bit of ebb and flow that we have to find. Um, I was not prepared to, you know, handle teacher parent phone calls. You know, and it sounds really simple. It sounds super simple. But how do you make that phone call of little Johnny as being a terror in my classroom? You know, um, you can't really say that to to a mommy who thinks little Johnny is absolutely wonderful. Um, so you, you kind of have to know how to communicate very well with parents as well as students. So it's it's that was one thing that, that I struggled with is the parent relationship on top of the student relationship. Okay. I got a fun question here. How long does it take you to remember all your kids' names? <laughs> yeah. So I know a lot of my students already because they mm-hmm. came from the same very small town. Usually it takes me about a month. Um, I have 126 this year. So, um, but a classroom of, you know, 25, 23, I'll know them by the end of the week, by the end of the first week. But now in middle school, when I have 126, it takes me about a month and I always fill it in real quick. Like if, if it's December and I have forgotten a student's name, I'll be like, you know, baby, come here and help me with this. Or, um, you know, a big thing is just like local cultural nicknames that we give whether it be bubba or papa or uh, buddy or sissy sissy's like a huge one at our school like i'll say sissy can you run in and close that door for me you know and i kind of try to cover it up because in the moment i don't want to admit i can't come up with their name suddenly but um you just, like you just have a pop quiz be like everybody write your names <laughs> on paper and tell me what the capital of the state is. Mm-hmm. Usually if I can get more than you know, 10 or 15 seconds, it'll come to me. But mm-hmm. I really don't want to go through that. Really, Miss Lamar, you don't even know my name? That type of thing. So I guess that's a, that, uh, 
just tip of the day is just have like your little local nicknames. <laughs> okay. Now, could you, could you kind of go through your day-to-day operations? Like obviously teach and that's mm-hmm. kind of, you, you see that growing up when you're, you're thinking about going to teaching, but could you go into more of like the background mm-hmm. stuff that you don't see? Yeah, it's an absolute whirlwind. I mean, it really, um, teaching, you know, when that bell rings, that first bell to when your kids get on the bus, if you don't have a secure schedule, you are flying by the seat of your pants. Um, And I can say that because this is our first week of school. (laughs) And, you know, your schedule changes year to year. So basically, um, I get there as early as possible, as early as I can with having my own personal life. Our school starts at 8. I try to get there at 7.30. I make my coffees. Um, I definitely get a huge coffee. Um, I go to my classrooms. I like to kind of have everything set up for the morning because you never know how those kids are going to walk in the door. You never know how their morning is going. It could be that, you know, they didn't get any breakfast because they don't have any food at the house. It could be that mom yelled at them in the school parking lot. Um, it could be that someone sent an ugly text message before they walked in the door. You never know how they're going to walk in. And so if you're not prepared for what you need to do, you're not going to be able to meet their needs in the moment. So yeah, get there early as possible. I try to kind of prepare all of my morning stuff. Um, and then when the bell rings for them to come in, I greet every single student. I try to call them by name <laughs> and um, I ask them, you know, Hey, how was your morning? Or I love your shoes. Or did you remember your homework today? Do you have a pencil? Um, you know, whatever it might be just to kind of follow up with them. And then, you know, um, when they all get seated, I like to have something for them to do immediately, you know, just to kind of make sure that I get bus notes sent to the front office or, um, just, do you need to go to the nurse and that type of thing? Cause they're going to have that just as soon as they walk in the door and then we'll get started with academics, you know, um, and it might be your classrooms look different school to school, but you know, for me, we have a 60 minute period. So I'll have 60 minutes with those students and then they leave and then I'll get another group. Um, and so I'll teach block style almost, and then I'll have a teacher prep period. Um, that is a blessing. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the day is just when they all kind of, you know, they're leaving and I know they're, they're taken care of in someone else's classroom and I can do what I need to. But then about 30 minutes of that, I start missing them again. And usually I go find them somewhere or, or, you know, address one of their needs. Um, but in the teacher block, really though, I do my lesson plans for, you know, the next week or, you know, wherever I am in my pacing guide, I answer a lot of emails. If I make any phone calls to little Johnny's parents about morning behavior or anything like that, it could be that I need to walk up to the principal's office for a meeting, um, guidance for, you know, any of our our students with any work with them, um, about students. And then usually if I need to go find a student on campus to say, Hey, you know, you forgot to turn on your homework or, you know, you left this in my classroom, things like that. I will do it. But, um, and then I'll just have blocks for the rest of the day. Um, teachers usually have duties somewhere. So they will have like courtyard duty or bus duty or pickup duty at the end of the day. And then we have about 30 minutes of teacher planning at the end. And usually I reserve that for parent meetings or teacher meetings. 
So if I need to meet with a parent about behavior or about academics, or if I need to meet with a teacher who teaches the same thing as me, we can collaborate on that towards the end of the day. So, but yeah, no, um, you're tired by 3.30, by 3.30, you're wiped out. And usually it takes me a lot longer. I mean, really, you know, we're supposed to leave there at 3.30. There's days that, I mean, I have stayed way up until the middle of the night before, just trying to get ready, like just trying to, trying to make it happen, especially that first year. The first year is pretty tough, and then you get the swing of things. But um, I usually leave school at about 5 o'clock. So that's an hour and a half of, of unpaid time. But Do you take work home with you very often? I try not to. You know, Cody, being a newlywed and um, trying to get, you know, the home established and things like that and, you know, our own personal routine, um, I try not to, but I always do. And mm-hmm. my husband gets it's it's an ongoing joke because every single year at the beginning I say, Okay, I'm not gonna take work home this year. I'm not even gonna bring my laptop home. And, you know, he usually makes a bet about how long that'll last. But um, yeah, so most of the time if I leave at three thirty, I will bring home papers to grade or maybe my laptop. And just when we're having downtime at the house, like after dinner watching Netflix, I will, you know, respond to stuff online or, or grade papers. Um, I try not to, but I'm either going to stay a little bit later or I'm going to bring it home. There's just no way to fit it in. I agree with that. I was going to say, if uh, if you leave at 3.30, you can go ahead and tell your husband you're going to be bringing home stuff every day. Because my mom, she she always would bring stuff home and work on it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, okay. And then also about the summers. A lot, a lot of people have maybe this misconception that summers are completely free. And I know I've seen even with my mom's time teaching that the summers have gotten shorter and shorter. Yeah. They ask them to come back earlier, to stay a little bit later, even after the students have left. Um, and then also, uh, you know, a lot of teachers are preparing for their classes next mm-hmm. year because teachers get moved around a lot. So they mm-hmm. have to redo, you know, all their structuring and everything. So mm-hmm. how would you describe the summers? Um, I try to stay here at the house as much as possible because um, I do have a stepdaughter and um, she's seven. And so that is our time that daddy is at work and we get to do some really fun stuff. Yes, I do have to go in for quite a few meetings. Um, Luckily, my district is very family oriented. And so usually, I don't know if you experience this being a teacher's kid, like being dragged to school after hours and you know, during the summer and stuff, but she will, she's at a fun age that she likes to come up to the school and help me with my classroom and things like that. Um, but we do have, we call it pre-planning. And so they bring us in a week before the students get there. But then there's always that like occasional meeting that's optional the week before pre-planning that, you know, you definitely want to attend. Um, summers are getting shorter. Uh, you will have pre-planning. And even meetings at the end, because what happens is the end of the year comes around and the students get on the buses and they leave and you are so distraught. Like I know every year the buses load up full of kids on the last day of school and I just sit there and cry like a baby. I just, it's just something about it. Just you make this huge bond with these kids and then they're out, you know, and 
um, they're off to the high school or they're off to the next grade or they're off to middle school or, or whatever it might be. Um, but it's so important to after they go home and you want to start your summer, but really that reflection piece of how the year went and okay, do we need to change our curriculum app? Do we need to change our pacing guide? How did this standard fit right here in between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Were they really paying attention to it? Because it's a biggie. And then, you know, all right, well, the standard that you're putting at that bad time, that is worth, you know, 15% on the end of the year test. That's a huge chunk. Let's move that to a better spot. So we're making sure that they pay attention to that standard. Let's put a standard that doesn't, isn't really highly rated on our end of the year test. And let's put it in the spot where, you know, we might have homecoming or the students would be a little bit distracted. Let's put it there, that would be a better spot. And so that's really important towards the end of the year. Um, that's a thing that a lot of people don't think about when they say school's out for summer. They think that all the teachers are like going to the beach, but in reality, we have a quite a big job um, ahead of us from just reflecting from how the year went in general. So you do have that. It eats away about two weeks of your summer, but it's really, really powerful. Thankfully, my principal is an amazing woman, and she is very, very family-oriented. And if we have to come up to the school, um, you know, she makes sure that she, we have people there to help us, like somebody running the copier or, you know, just an extra janitorial staff to help us move boxes or something like that, or even if we need to bring, you know, kids or anything like that. Of course, that was before COVID. But, um, yeah, yeah <laughs> no, the, the summers are uh, – very sweet time and it's reserved for family and for whatever we need to do. Um, but unfortunately it's getting shorter. You know, I'm glad that you brought that up because another misconception is teachers get paid during the summer. That's not a thing. We don't get paid during the summer. Um, you know, it wasn't until recently that we were able to break it up to checks during the summer. So it was that you get paid from August to June, the very beginning of June. And then you have that time where you're not getting a paycheck at all. But then they broke it up to you can even out your checks almost. So you have a steady payment. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if I was getting paid every two weeks, if I was getting paid, you know, $1,500, then it would be broken up um, instead of 10 checks, you know, 12 checks, and it might be $1,200. Does that make sense? So you can break it up that way, but you are definitely not getting paid during the summer. Okay, so it sounds like there's definitely like a review aspect at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. I was kind of curious, how much do the uh, standardized tests kind of uh, reflect on, on the teachers? Like, do they take that into consideration every year mm -hmm. for rehiring or whatever? So it just depends on your principal um, because, you know, whatever model that the principal uses, that's a question that I would advise someone when they're going in for an interview to ask, you know, you want to, when they offer you the job, you know, you want to ask things like we were talking about pay and being your own advocate. I would also ask to see their model for evaluations um, because it does change. Luckily, um, my principal is, she's very flexible. She understands that sometimes you get a crop of students that are ready to learn. Sometimes you get a crop of students that just aren't quite there or they had, you know, a substitute, maybe half of last year, maybe, you know, something was going on. Um, so she's very understanding, but it definitely does play a part. Um, mm -hmm. Now, we all have our personal opinions, if that's right or wrong. 
Um, you know, but, but that, that is a factor if, you know, how you're going to get evaluated at the end of the year. Um, and I wouldn't say it's a factor for rehire because there's so many other things that go into your evaluation, but I know that it is based principle to principle. It's just a, it's how they want to, how to evaluate or how, what type of format they're going to use. Okay. And it's probably more of a, not like a one-time occurrence, but if you, you steadily mm-hmm. getting classes scoring badly on this, then they may reevaluate, mm-hmm. you know, your position or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you kind of touched on this a little bit before, but what, what do you think, uh, if you had to say what the bad parts about the job is, what's driving you away from the job? What do you think drives mm-hmm. people away? Um, I will say, I feel like I'm a little bit different, of course, because, I'm in it for the long haul, you know, (laughs) I don't think that you Mm -hmm. could drive me away from education, but I will say, um, I have friends that are in the same age bracket as me and they went into education and I mean, to be honest, they didn't make it. And I will Mm -hmm. say it's support from, um, not only the community, but just from staff and from administration. I have been in districts, other districts before and, um, you know, fellow first year teachers have said to me, like, I just don't feel like I'm supported. I never know what to do. You know, um, there's a lack of communication. It's just very hard when you're in the classroom with 20 students to feel like there's someone else, you know, as far as your administration there for you and um, willing to help you when also there's, there's also like 20 other teachers in the school. So I think that Support from administration is a big one. I will be honest, it's also a pay thing. You know, it's, you've got a bachelor's degree and, you know, you're, you're not really making that much money. So pay, support from administration, um, just feeling overwhelmed the first few years is completely normal. You're going to feel overwhelmed. It's going to be hard the first few years. But if you can get over that, it does get easier. Um, but a lot of teachers don't make it through that period, unfortunately. So I think that that's the three biggies is support from administration, pay, and just those first few years of feeling like I have no idea what I'm doing. No, that third one makes a lot of sense. You're basically, you've been in college and now you're kind of thrust into this position where you're essentially the boss of your own classroom. You know, you're responsible for all these kids and what they do from day to day. And, you know, if you don't have that much experience, it could I could imagine how it would be difficult feeling confident knowing that you, what you're doing is correct. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and then could you also kind of go into a little bit of like, what are some of the unique challenges with working with children that you're not going to get in any other job? <laughs> Oh my goodness, Cody, I could sit here all day and tell you hilarious stories about things that these children have said to me over the years. I mean, some of them, it's always the topic of conversation when I go out to dinner or a family event, you know, the, um, my family members will ask me, you know, would you have any new stories or what's going on in your classroom? Because I mean, we teaching is a unique field but your students bring the uniqueness. You know, it's not that uh, teaching someone how to learn or teaching someone their ABCs or uh, AP biology. I mean, that's not very unique, 
but it's just the fact that you have 20 little minds in your classroom and they all are growing and exploring at different rates and levels and ways. And um, it just makes for such just a fun environment. Um, teaching is unique because it's not, okay, one boss and I'm doing exactly what he says. You have the freedom to do so much in your classroom and your principal, that's what they want you to do. They want you to take that creative liberty out and, and they want you to explore with these students and just learn together. And it's not a, um, you know, a boss and an employee. It is, yes, I have this administration that's helping me, but then I'm the teacher in this classroom. And my goal is to make these children productive adults in society. So I think that that's what's unique about it is that, um, you know, the conversations that you're going to have <laughs> are not going to be like what you have in a normal workplace. And also it's not a boss and employee. Um, if you're the type of person who's creative, I really think that teaching is a great outlet for you. Okay. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, every day is going to be new challenges because mm -hmm. these people, these children are learning to be people and they're, they're learning all sorts of things, not just what's taught in the classes, but they're learning what's culturally or societally yeah. acceptable or not. Yeah. I remember one example when I was in first grade, you know, all these different kids have wildly different influences mm -hmm. from their parents and, and such. And I remember I was pointing at something. I was using my middle finger, though. And one girl, <laughs> she got really offended, right? Mm -hmm. And she was like, I'm going to tell on you. I'm like, for what? Anyway, blah, blah, blah. She eventually did tell on me, right? And the teacher called me up, and she's like, oh, you know, what's her name? Said that you shot a bird. What kind of, what kind of bird did you shoot? And then, uh, you know, I didn't say anything because I was a kid, and I, I kind of felt like I did something wrong, but I didn't know what, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, she was kind of like trying to get it out of me. She's like, dude, did you go turkey hunting? Being in Georgia, you know? dove hunting and, all, and then I was like no and she's like well can you show me and then I shot her the bird <laughs> and she's like go go pull all your straws I was like I don't know what I did wrong <laughs> that is yeah so, no and and you definitely have a lot of stuff like that um your rules and requirements are going to change daily you know like you uh -huh. said it changes day from day you're also going to have to change your classroom every single day I know for an example a few I guess it was last year I'm not quite sure it was when I was in middle school, um, the boys, the weather started getting warm and the boys were bringing fishing poles to school. Well, you know, like I do, they have a hook on the end of it. It's very mm -hmm. sharp. And so we could not let them in the school with these fishing poles. And it was just the funniest thing trying to tell these little country boys that they are going to have to leave their fishing poles at home. And they just did not understand. They were like, well, I don't understand why I can't bring it. And I don't want to go all the way back after school. And it was just, it was the most hilarious thing. And um, we ended up making, you know, like a special place in the front office <laughs> that they could, they could go and get them after school. But I mean, it's really just going to, like you said, it, it's the cultural changes and what they're bringing to the table is just, it's really great. Okay. So now I kind of want to get into um, what are the challenges that you see for the industry as a whole that you think mm -hmm. need to be uh, need to be challenged on, mm -hmm. maybe need to be 
reformed a little bit? What are the things that you think the next generation of teachers need to focus on? I would say professionalism. Um, you know, if, if teachers are going to want to make more money, you're going to have to be professionals. You know, you're not, you're not babysitting kids anymore. You are, we're making this shift, you know, in, you know, a few years ago when education reform was a hot topic, we made this shift from, we're no longer babysitting kids. We are teaching, educating students. Um, and so it's, I really want to take that and I want to change it from, you know, um, oh, well, I get paid the mindset of, oh, I get paid $30,000 a year. You know, I'm just going to, going to come in here and turn that into, okay, we're going to be professionals. If we want more money, we're going to have to set the tone. We're going to have to talk like professionals. We're going to have to dress like professionals. We're going to have to do learning and endorsements and classes and courses that aren't exactly required. And, you know, we're just going to have to push ourselves. And like I said, talking about being our own advocate, you know, it's going to start if we want the industry to move forward, it's going to start with these teachers and it has to be a universal effect. Um, we have an amazing teachers union. They do wonderful things. We need to get more teachers enrolled in it. You know, teachers unions should be a, a non, you know, a, a fact in it. You know, is that, okay, I've got my job. Let me go join the teachers union. Um, so I think that with pushing the industry forward from an inside level of all teachers really locking together and saying, okay, we are going to do whatever we can to act, dress, um, learn professionally. I think that's where it's going to start. And also just the idea of being aware that the community is for us. And how do we get the community to vote for us? How do we get the community to go to school board meetings? How do we get, you know, when the community starts researching about, you know, public offices and voting, are they really thinking about, okay, who's for education? Yeah, I think a lot of times that is kind of like a fourth or fifth concern. Mm -hmm. It's down on the totem pole. And, um, you know, a lot of people, when they go to the polls, they just look at, you know, what the big thing is like, oh, we're voting for governor. Oh, I didn't even know we were voting on some of these topics that were brought to ballot. What does this one even mean? You know, maybe yeah. look at some of those because there's usually an education one on there. Mm-hmm. Also related to technology, like technology is evolving very rapidly. How do you see that changing the industry? I mean, I think you kind of already see that. Like yeah. a lot of schools are issuing Chromebooks and everything, and that's just crazy. And I've only been out of school for a little bit of time, really. <laughs> yeah, in the grand scheme of things. So um, in general, I think that the push of technology is a great factor. Um, I love it. I embrace it. Um, with our district in particular, we face a problem with poverty and just with, I mean, we can't get Wi-Fi out here. We're in the middle of nowhere. So yes, the push for technology is amazing, but is it a, is it realistic for everybody? Can we really say that all teachers are going to go digital? I mean, it's just not going to happen. Not until we take some of this federal money and we push it in to getting Wi-Fi accessible for everybody. And I'm not saying to pay for it in their homes. 
but it wasn't until I guess it was about nine months ago when I could get Wi-Fi here. And the reason that I did and I pushed for it so much is because I had to go get my master's degree online. And so I had to research a lot of different ways and, and pay a lot of money to, you know, to be able to have it. So it's, it's something that is not um, feasible for everybody right now in education and all of our students. But I think that if we keep on moving towards and being accepting of technology, we will get there. But I guess it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth because of COVID. And it was, um, it just happened so fast for our district. And we're all kind of wrapping our head around the new technology that we're going to have to use. Um, that it, it's just, it's been a struggle. I will say this year's struggle has been the technology portion. This whole entire time while I've been talking to you, I hear my phone go ding, 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 just about <laughs> like Canvas emails and stuff like that for my students. You know, it's one of those things that we're going to get around, but it's just been harder for our district. And so, yes, I want everyone to, and especially the future teachers, to embrace technology. But I want you to remember that it's not everybody everywhere is not ready for it. That's a good point, because some schools, especially more rural areas, are going to get kind of left behind in that because it's just so expensive and the... Uh, capabilities just not there always also like um i would say like some of the other community um some of the other community things like libraries public libraries i think those need to kind of co-evolve with it like right now libraries are just books for the most part mm -hmm. i mean i could be wrong on that but maybe they should have like a suite of computers that anybody can go in and use mm -hmm. um and they should be teaching more technology oriented programs like when i was growing up there was just the read a book program in the summer where you read 20 books and you get a bunch of fast food coupons but maybe they need something different mm -hmm. um maybe like a little 3d printing thing get people interested in stem or whatnot just to kind of uh be in step with the schools i think mm -hmm. but public libraries are also having a lot of trouble getting funding i know the one in my hometown uh baldwin county they they were contemplating i don't think they actually did shut it down but they were contemplating shutting it down because they didn't have the funding wow. which is kind of sad mm -hmm. but um so the other challenge i would think i'd like to highlight is because you do get a lot of teachers that stay in for a full career right they're in it to win it um but because they're in there so long and you are trying to kind of teach these uh, new technologies to the students how do you battle the aspect that a lot of these older Veterans. teachers don't know how to use the technology themselves? Mm -hmm. So that's need more teacher that, programs. Yes. So that's definitely something that we have faced this year, but we're talking about teacher programs. Um, well, then when COVID hit, we're not able to get a trainer in here to teach it. Mm -hmm. And so it really became um, when we were in pre-planning, all of the teachers, we had these new young teachers, and I will consider myself in that. I'm probably in that bracket, but one of the older ones. But we had us who were all in our early 20s and who were used to teaching on Canvas because we had just done it in our own classroom. Like I said before, you know, the benefit of education is that it's unique, that it's it's something that can be creative. We had spent that time on being creative through this educational um, technology you know, whatever that might be, whatever platform that you want to use. 
And then when we were all sitting in the cafeteria, social distanced away, um, that young teacher was able to go to the that old veteran who was old school and show them how to do it. And so um, I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of collaboration like we've never had before this year. Um, I think part of it was because of COVID um, and just the scare and knowing that we didn't want to get shut down again. But also it was just that we were ready for it. I think that education is ready to say, okay, we are no longer, there's no such thing as old school teaching anymore. We're all going to band together. And if we have to do this thing, it's called in-service hours, and we have to take so many courses, basically to keep ourselves up to date on education. And, um, you know, we're going to be taking those. We're going to, you know, embrace technology and things like that. So I will say for my district, um, the theme of having a veteran teacher or an old school teacher is really out the door. It's really non-existent anymore because what we're realizing is in education, you have got to constantly be a learner and a teacher. You know, if you can't think how the student would think, then you're not going to be able to teach them the right way. Um, you never, ever stop learning as a teacher. So um, I, I know that that is out there with the thought of oh, an old school teacher with that chalkboard and um, you know, that little ruler whip or, you know, whatever it might be. But it really, um, I think that is phasing out. I will say at least where I'm from is that the teachers are embracing new school, common core standards, um, a way to what can we do to teach the students better? Is it really memorizing their times tables or is it showing them by using graphs and arrays and counter chips how and why times tables make sense? So mm -hmm. that's just my little spiel about it. I guess I'm a little bit overzealous about that because it has been so recently that I have seen that change. And I'm just I'm really glad that you brought it up. Or maybe maybe COVID looking at the positives of it. Yes. Or what we can get out of it. Maybe that'll kind of accelerate that. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Um, I, I did want to ask a question. This is going back pretty far. I should have asked it when I was asking about pay and everything. But I did want you to touch on maybe like your retirement and benefits because mm -hmm. it's a big aspect of teaching, at least on the public school. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things. Um, I'm from, like I said, a small rural community. Uh, a job in the school system and or even a state job, that's it's pretty good. I mean, it's. Like as far as healthcare goes, I cannot I have nothing bad to say. My health insurance. You can generally, um, you can generally put your family on the health insurance yes. too, which is nice. And also, my husband is a state employee, and so okay. um, you know, if you there's it really varies from district to district. But since I don't use the school's healthcare or the school's health mm -hmm. insurance, you know, they give me like a stipend, and so that's really nice. I will say that the pay is not amazing. But it's the retirement and the health insurance and the benefits, it makes it worth it for my family. And do you know, uh, can you like kind of talk to the specifics of the retirement a, a little bit? I know my mother, her retirement was pretty good, but uh, the way she described it to me is like the newer and newer teachers don't have quite as nice of a, a slice mm -hmm. of the cake. Like they've been kind of making the slices smaller for retirement. Mm -hmm. 
I have noticed that a little bit, but I really am not as up to date as I should be. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very, um, you know, I'm, my mom gets on to me all the time because she complains that I still think I'm 18, but I really am not um, up to date about my retirement. Honestly, that's my husband's venue. He, <laughs> he handles all of that because his, he's actually a high risk employee. Um, he's a forestry mm-hmm. firefighter. And so he handles that for us, but I've heard that um, it is getting, like you said, a smaller piece of the cake, but as to right in North Florida, I will say, I mean, teaching isn't great pay, but as far as, you know, everything else that comes along with it, it's, it's worth it for us. Okay. Yeah. And then if you're teaching as long as my mother has, mm-hmm. what she did is she just transitioned from public to private school. Yeah. So she's able to start collecting on her public mm-hmm. school retirement. Um, but she's teaching private school, so she's kind of like getting to dip into both, yes. both of those. Uh, and that's parts. in Florida, too. Is is But now the thing with that is because we've actually considered, I've considered making the move several times from going from public to private, but you'd have mm-hmm. to start all over again. Mm-hmm. And then from from what I understand, uh, public school actually tends to pay a little bit better than private school, but that, that may depend on the private school, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, and then also I think the benefits are better with the public school, but you just kind of, I think the allure to private school is you have less of that administrative red tape. Is Would I be correct in that? Um, yes, but I also think it depends on the school. So here in Florida, it's almost like the, the private schools might pay a little bit better, but like you said, it just depends. They might not offer health insurance or they might not offer, you know, the kind that your family needs, um, you know, the benefits or the retirement might, might be a little bit different. Um, but for me at 25 and having three years in the public school system, it's kind of like, do I want to try private school? You know, because I have to think about things like, well, what happens if I have a baby? I have a baby, I'm going to have to take a year off. Well, that's a year out of my retirement. And I mean, I know a woman right now that I work with and she has five children and she took two years off for each child. Well, that's Mm -hmm. 10 years, you know? And so um, she's kind of had to work that into her retirement and and make some changes and adjustments. Um, It's something that a lot of 25 year olds don't think about. Unfortunately, I'm one of those people who are not up to date like they should be. But it is a serious thought when I think about going to the private sector um, or even changing state. So mm-hmm. let's say if I taught here for 10 years and then decided to move back to Georgia, you know, there would be there would be a little shuffle with that. That's definitely something they should probably look into and ask about maybe during the interviews is what kind of retirement benefits they could expect and such like that. For you personally, I, I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, kind of what compelled you to go into teaching, but what um, what do you get out of it? What kind of fulfillment do you get out of it? And what, uh, I guess, do you think this job serves for you mm-hmm. in a way? So, yes, um, of course, I was born to teach. All right. So we just experienced a great example of how technology, you know, trying to integrate it in the classroom is easy to say, but... Maybe it's not the easiest to implement, you know. We're still struggling with some of the infrastructure here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We lost Audrey, but we have her back now, and we're going to finish out the interview. (laughs) Now, I forgot what the last question was, to be honest. We were talking about um, 
oh, how, how this uh, role fulfills something for you. Yeah, oh no, it definitely is. It's my absolute life. Like, it's my happy place. I love to wake up in the morning and just go in the classroom and just to talk to those guys and um, hear their opinions and what they think about things. Um, it, I do not, it's one of those things that no one's going to say, oh, I'm in, in education for the pay. Um, it has to fulfill something for you personally. Um, and a lot of people will tell you that, you know, it's just, oh, I love to see the light bulb moments and the, um, the kids finally understand or you know, it's just the connections I make after school with baseball or coaching, cheerleading or wherever, whatever it might be. Honestly, for me, it's just the conversations to see how their little minds are forming and, um, you know, just just hearing what they have to say, because you don't think about it. But they do. They have opinions on things and they're, you know, that they hear things and they're a part of our society. And just to see how you know, um, they're forming as little, almost adults, I think is just really cool. I've had some conversations with our middle schoolers about, um, you know, COVID and, you know, quarantining and the idea that this is a pandemic. And what does that mean? What does that word mean? What does it mean for us? And things like that. And I really think that that's what it brings me. It brings me a sense of awe to, you know, how our society looks and I know that people say that the future is dim, but they don't see these little minds going every day because I think that we have such a bright future in the hands of these kids. They can get off, off TikTok. I really think that they are going to change the world if I can get them off TikTok long enough. That's amazing. I, I think that's a change. Mm-hmm. A big change is like the amount of technology that they're bringing in the classroom for their personal use. Oh yeah. And, and you're talking about middle schoolers. Um, I didn't. I don't think I got my first phone. I think I got my first phone in seventh grade. But you know, yeah. the phones back in when I was in seventh grade are a lot different than phones now. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, do most of them have like smartphones, like iPhones? Yes, I would say most of them do. Um, it really. I... All right. So we're gonna hit this question one more time. We're trying to. We're having some technical difficulties. Actually, you finished the fulfillment one. Yeah. But I did want to ask a quick question, like. Uh, because this has obviously changed a lot, but how do you manage the all the technology that these kids are bringing on their pockets? Do you have like a no phone policy? So our school has a no phone policy, um, and it's purely, I really respect it because it's my principal's uh, third year there. And before she came, we were having a lot of fights on campus. And mm-hmm. the phones, what they were doing was they were texting a fight in the courtyard after third period, you know, and then not only do you have two students who are, you know, having a physical altercation, you also have like a hundred other students who have heard about it through their cell phones. And so um, it just caused more problems than it solved. That's of course is one mild example. Um, You know, it was also just being used for like taking pictures during school Um, And then you get into, okay, well, how do we protect the other student's privacy? Because that is still a minor Um, and things like that. Uh, School dances, you know, when they're like taking pictures of like people dancing, it it just becomes uh, more of an issue. So that's the stance that they've taken right now is no phones. And I really respect it. Um, I don't think that it is plausible for every school. 
So if you're in an urban school in Atlanta, Georgia, and everybody has phones and everybody has Wi-Fi, then I think that the teachers should try to embrace it. You know, what's wrong with, you know, finding a platform? Um, I use Flipgrid a lot. And so the students can make videos and they're all in a whole bunch of boxes. It kind of reminds me of the Brady Bunch, you know, like the different little boxes. So I think that it's important. You know, there's nothing wrong with having a, an Instagram for your classroom. Um, you know, I, I enjoy that. I think that it's great. I love to see teachers do it. But for my school, because, you know, we're kind of a different demographic, we haven't gotten there yet. I think that we will, though. We will. Yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of dependent on the school and everything like that. Major Mac has a Twitter handle for his class. That is amazing. But so now I will say, um, you know, like your the original question was, how do you handle it? You can't. And you need to embrace that. Um <laughs> So if you and make the technology for your benefit, instead of it making like a secret thing, ooh, I'm going to the bathroom and I'm going to take a quick Snapchat because they're not allowed at school, it becomes, you know, kind of taboo. Um, whereas if you go ahead and say, all right, we're going to have a twiddle hander for our classroom or, you know, um, Snapchat me a picture of a math equation out in the real world. Or, you know, can you, what is the, what's the best buy on apples that you can find when you go to the grocery store today? You know, and you could talk about unit rates with your class. Who found the best deal on apples? You know, and if three or four students went to the supermarket that day, how fun would that be? And you have it all on Snapchat. So um, I think that you can't control it. You have to learn to embrace it and they will follow suit. So finally, to wrap this thing kind of up, if you are talking to someone who who wants to get into the field, what advice and what cautions would you give them to, mm -hmm. uh, would you give to them? And then also, like, overall, obviously, you would advise someone like yourself to go into the field. Well, mm -hmm. What type of person would you advise to be cautious about going into the field like they might not do too well? Mm -hmm. So I think that my first thing I have to do is, you know, tell them the joke of just run. <laughs> Don't do it, you know. <laughs> Um, but in reality, um, I would tell everybody that follow your own path, that education, you do not have to go to a big university and take out a huge student loan and, um, you know, live in a college campus for four, four years. You know, there are different ways that you can do it now. Um, you can do it online. And like I said, you could teach for the last two years. That's always a great way. Um, and also, you know, if you if you know that you want to be in a classroom with students, that's great. But if you just are interested in the idea, I would say go out and research. You know, uh, do you do you really like being with the students or do you like the idea of being able to teach things? Go towards textbooks, you know, or do you like the discipline part of it? Go towards the administration role. Do you like dealing with um, their problems? Go the guidance counselor role. Go the social services role. Um, a lot of other venues are in education that, that really don't get talked about. Um, so just be aware that there are definitely different ways to go about it. You're not going to be stuck in the classroom. There are definitely things that you could do. You could go be a reading coach for a county. Go be um, the department head of a science you know, for a district. I mean, there, there's definitely different venues that you can take. 
Um, don't get sucked into a four year, um, huge university. If you know, you want to see if you like teaching, you know, you could, of course, you know, like I did go the two year route and then teach the last two years while getting your bachelor's degree. Um, I would also say if you have trouble connecting with people, this would not be the job for you. Uh, you have got to be open to where people come from and people's biases and diversity. And you just have to realize that not everybody thinks like you. If you're um, the type of person that keeps a chip on their shoulder, you cannot do this job because what these students say to you is usually not even personal. It's something that they have going on. Um, you know, they don't really mean to hurt you when they disobey you. Um, you're going to have to, you're going to be how you're going to have to be able to separate the actions of a student versus the student themselves, because they haven't figured out how to appropriately respond to things. Um, I know that's a huge thing for, for people is, is just to be able to kind of leave their bias at the door. Um, you know, you have to be able to learn to take any type of stereotyping or prejudice. You have to completely eliminate all of that. Um, and you have to take that student for where they are right now. Um, so I would say that that's a big deal and just kind of, you have to be able to make connections with people. Um, for me, that comes easier with, you know, students than people my own age. And so I kind of have a problem, you know, communicating correctly with parents, but I do a really good job of it with my students in the classroom. So that's something that I struggle with, but I would say that's the, the big one that, you know, if, if I know that someone is not um, super good at communicating or connecting, um, I would caution them, but also just being energetic. <laughs> I know a lot of people who, um, you know, they've got like a monotone voice and they're real quiet. And there are some students who do respond to that. But when I'm in the classroom, I'm loud. I'm, you know, I've got to constantly be talking with my hands. And I've got to walk from this side to that side. And, you know, you constantly have to be moving and shaking. That's always how I describe my classroom. Um, and I think that students respond to that. And so, but I think that those are all things in your personality, you know. So I guess I'll, I would err to the side of caution to someone who is um, a little bit more reserved or someone who can't really connect with people on, you know, a personal level quickly. But um, no, I think that it's a great field. Uh, it will definitely shed a light on society and different cultures than, you know, what you might be exposed to in the past. I would say everybody should at least give it a try, but <laughs> that, that's not exactly feasible. Um, it's these are little people we're talking about. These are human beings and they're important and they want to be heard. And um, it's important that we give them good quality teachers. And so I appreciate people like you that are trying to, you know, get out and give appropriate, correct information um, to anyone who would be considered in the field of education. All right. That sounds good. You want to help me close out the podcast? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Job Fair podcast with Audrey and Cody. Make sure that you listen to his other episodes. 
Sounds good. And you can reach out to us at kwcpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to nominate somebody you want to get interviewed, if there's a profession I'm missing, if there's burning questions you have that I'm just not asking, you can let me know through that email. So we'll see you again.